You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. This message is from part two of our series, The War Room, where we are learning that while spiritual warfare is real and aggressive, scripture gives us the tools to overpower our enemy. And now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Well, hey, good morning. It is uh, good to see you all. Is it good to be here today? Have you guys enjoyed it so far? Yeah? Good, 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 good. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Hey, my name is Travis. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, nice to meet you. Um, and I get to, the opportunity to serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, I've been gone the last couple weeks. Uh, I took a, a vacation with my family. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, woo, leave more. All right. I'm just kidding. And uh, no, it was great. It was really good. I, you, know, you, you know, something that happens on vacation, though, you, you learn a lot about yourself, right? When, when you kind of leave your natural surroundings and uh, you kind of get out and, and you get away from everything, you kind of learn a little bit more about yourself. You know, you feel me? You know what I'm saying? Um, no? Okay. And, um, and so I learned a couple things about myself, one, two, maybe three things at best. But number one, I, learned, I really learned this about myself. I am the whitest man ever. Uh, my family... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, we went on vacation to Florida, and, and you're like, oh, wow, Florida, that's great. Not if you have red hair and, like, translucent skin. Not. In fact, it's, it's, it's awful um, because it's, it's really, like, it's sunny there. And so I learned that I am a very white male. Um, and I also learned, number two, <clears throat> that you can put sunscreen all over your body, right? And I did, literally. I, I walked out on the beach and... Like, I was the most unattractive person ever because it looked like I was just covered in white goo, you know? But I didn't care. I'm married. Like, sorry, you stuck with me, honey. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to impress anybody. So I just, you know, kind of like walk out. But the only place I didn't put the white sunscreen was on my lips. Second thing I learned, your lips can burn in the sun. Did you ever learn that before? I did, the hard way. Um, so those are two things I learned, very deep things on vacation. Uh, the other thing I learned on the way home from vacation is that the range that my, one of my sons has, one of my children, my babies has, um, to projectile vomit is astounding. That's another one of the things. And his accuracy which, which, with which he can hit my mouth is astounding. Yeah, good morning. Yes, very. You'll hear about that in an upcoming sermon. Don't worry. Anyway, I want to welcome you today. Uh, we are in week two of uh, the War Room. Pastor David did a fantastic job last week presenting the gospel. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And all month long, we're going to be talking about this, this unseen battle, right? This, this hidden battle that takes place all around us, uh, a battle that oftentimes goes, uh, to be quite honest, unseen. And uh, every one of us is tremendously affected by it. You know, I was thinking about this and uh, a way to maybe open up our time together today. And I, I had a question. How many of us are engaged in some form or some sort of social media platform on a week, maybe daily, daily, yeah, right? So maybe it's Facebook, um, maybe it's, you know, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know, Tumblr, whatever it might be, um, blogging, but you're kind of involved. 
you know, I, I think we know all like the staple favorites. How many of you use Snapchat? Any of us use Snapchat? Okay. So if you're not familiar with Snapchat, Snapchat's kind of interesting. You can send audio, you can send video, you can send pictures, um, files, stuff like that. But the thing that's appealing about Snapchat is that you as the user can send it to a selected group of people and you can set a pre, uh, you know, you can have a preset time that it lasts for, right? Before the file is evaporated. So say I sent a picture of you covered, uh, of, of myself covered in, in, you know, sunscreen and like, hey, my lips burned. You know, I send that to you. Um, you're like, why would you send that? I don't know. But if I did and I sent that to you, I could set it to only last 10 seconds. So you could only see this picture for 10 seconds, which would probably be enough time for you to look at it. Um, and then Snapchat promises then, what's appealing about this is that it will be deleted from whoever you sent it to and also completely erased from Snapchat's servers, right? And so you can see why this would be appealing to maybe a younger demographic, a younger audience, a younger generation, but also appealing to people who, to be quite honest with you, are, are sending pictures or things, videos maybe, that they have no, uh, you know, have no business sending in the first place. You tracking? You follow me? Yes? Yes? Um, and so Snapchat really offers kind of like this, no hassle, no evidence, uh, you know, it will be unseen guarantee. And that's how it worked until a few days ago. Because what Snapchat found out about a few days ago was that a number of years ago when they launched, not, not very soon after they launched, somebody hacked Snapchat's servers. And so for the last few years, a person or a group of people who hacked their servers have been collecting every single photo, video, audio, or file that was sent through Snapchat. Now you thought, some of you were like, this is the first time I'm hearing about this, and I am freaking out, right? You should freak out, because it's terrifying, because it gets worse. Not only have they collected them all, but they have also uploaded them to the World Wide Web. Is that what we call it now? The internets? Um, web crawler? I don't know. Um, the Facebooks? Anyway, so they uploaded it, and it is online for you, the viewer, to go in a searchable database. So now you can look up by username... Uh, and it will show you all the pictures, videos, audios, anything that has ever been sent from that person. Pretty scary, right? Especially to people who are sending things they should not be sending. Um, to, to those of you who sent like a cute picture of your baby, doesn't matter to you, right? But to the person who sent something that could send them to jail, you're freaking out. And, and the fact of the matter is, this, quote, unseen world now has become seen and it's doing tremendous damage. If uh, this is completely accurate, what will happen is lawsuits will be filed with people who have sent things they shouldn't have sent, pictures of, of things they should not have sent. Marriages will be broken over this. There will be, like I said, lawsuits. There will be relationships that have been broken. I mean, because Snapchat has been used um, for a lot of things. Uh, cheating on tests. Uh, it's been used for bullying. And now there's incriminating evidence. fact of the matter is nothing is unseen. Nothing. Nothing. God sees 
everything. And we think that we live in this little Snapchat universe, right? Like, well, I, I can do my own thing, and I've got, you know, I put like a tinfoil hat on, so God can't see my brain, or he can't see what I'm doing, you know what I mean? And that's not true. First off, like, where did you come up with that? That's not in the Bible. That's weird. Like, God is almighty, unless you put on a tinfoil hat. That's ridiculous, right? Um, but we don't live in a world where you know, things are unseen. God sees everything. But to us, we think just because we can't immediately right now see the battle that it's not taking place. The fact of the matter is there is an unseen battle that affects us tremendously. Amen? So that's what we're going to be spending the whole time talking about. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, we got to start off with this understanding. We don't fight an enemy. We fight enemies. We don't have an enemy. We have enemies. If you're taking notes this morning, I would highly recommend that you do. Um, write that down. We don't have an enemy. We have enemies. Now, when it comes to uh, spiritual warfare, most Christians end up sounding just like Bobby Boucher's mom. You know what I'm talking about? What, what, what do I mean? What does Bobby Boucher's mom say all the time? It's the devil, right? And Bobby Boucher runs around like, it's the devil, right? And we end up sounding like that. We give, I just want to say this, like up front, we give the devil way too much credit, okay? And we're going to be talking about Satan in the next couple weeks, and we're going to give him a profile and talk about who he is, where he came from, his MO, everything like that. But we're not going to talk about him today because I don't want to give him all the credit. He's a, he's a very powerful adversary. But the fact of the matter is we have three unseen adversaries. And if you only train to fight one, you will lose. You will lose. Loose. A couple of, uh, a little while ago, I'll say, um, we're working on obedience in our home. I don't know, maybe you as parents have that covered, but in our home, we're working on that, working through that. I came home from work, and my wife, Vanessa, said, hey, uh, you need to talk to Noah. He's our oldest. He's eight. Um, she didn't tell me that. I'm telling you that. Um, <laughs> that would be strange. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that one. Okay. Uh, anyway, so we walked in. And she said, we need, you know, you need to talk to Noah. I asked him to clean his room, and he chose disobedience. I said, what happened? Well, he came down 30 minutes later, kind of whistling a tune, and just said, did you clean your room? Nope, I didn't. Okay. Wait till your dad gets home. And then he went and cleaned his room, right? So I got home, and I went upstairs, and I sat him down and um, talked, to, talked to him a little bit. And there was a discipline that took place. And after his discipline, I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question? Noah? Why did you choose to be disobedient. Why did you choose disobedience over obedience? And this is, what, this is what he said. He looked at me, you know, and only how a, a you know, a very knowledgeable, deep, eight-year-old mind can, you know. He looked at me and he thought about it. And he glanced and he slowly said, you know, Dad, I guess the devil just got the best of me. <laughs> That's what he said. He looked right at me. Just, just, I mean, he was sincere. God love him, man. He just looked right at me and goes, you know, Dad, I just, I guess the devil just got the best of me. And I looked at him and I said, no, N Noah, no. And he was confused. He looked at me, he was like, you know, kind of confused. And I said, let me ask you a question. Did Satan show up in the doorway after your mom said, clean your room and said, hey, kid, <laughs> don't clean your room, you know? Did that happen? He said, no. And I said, okay, maybe you're blaming Satan for something that you did. See, the second enemy that we have that we don't like to talk about too often is our own flesh, 
Our flesh drives us to disobedience. Our flesh separates from Jesus Christ. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we must crucify our flesh daily. Put it to death. Certain death. We're going to talk about the flesh next week. So we have two of our three adversaries of this unseen battle name. Number one is the devil, Satan, Lucifer. Number two is our flesh. What is the third? Well, I'm glad you asked. Otherwise, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. First John. Turn over to 1 John. If you don't have your Bibles, you can turn on your Bible on your phone. If you don't have a phone, you can look up at the screen. If you can't read, you can just listen to me. 1 John chapter 2, cover all the bases. Starting in verse 15 says this. Do not love the, what's it say? Oh, come on, man. This is the, uh, this is the second worship experience. This is the crazy crowd. Do not love the world. the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The third enemy, if you're taking notes this morning, the third enemy and the one we're going to be focusing in on today for the duration of our time together is the world. The world. Let's get to work. Scripture tells us, do not love the world or the things in this world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First question that I would ask you today, and maybe the most important question that I will ask you for the duration of this series is this. Do you love the world? Do you love the world? Now notice that John isn't asking if we like the world. He's not asking if we favor the world. He's not asking if we're enchanted by the world. John is telling us, do not love the world. What we first have to understand is that when we love the world, we cannot love God. Quite simply, when we love the world, we cannot love God. We cannot love Christ. And here's why. Because the world stands at complete odds against God. Scripture is very clear. The world stands at complete odds against God. And John uses the word love here, and it's translated from the Greek word agape, which means to give your affections to. And it's not a romantic love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not a friend love. It's a love that you give all of your affections to. And so the idea is here, if you agape the world, if you give all your affections to the world, then what is then left for God? What is then left for Christ? You cannot love the world and love Jesus. John goes on to explain that the world and the things of the world are as follows. He says that they're desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life. So I ask you again, do you love the world? Do we have a love of the world? Or maybe I could ask you in a softer way, maybe a more simple way. Do you love the world more than you love Jesus? Do you? Because if you love the world more than you love Jesus, you don't love Jesus. Now, there's a happy message, right? <laughs> if you love the world more than you love Jesus, then you don't love Jesus. So we have to have a gauge on this, right? Because how are you supposed to answer? I mean, how are you really supposed to answer that? Do you love the world more than you love Jesus? You're going to say, no. Well, no, no, I love, I love Jesus. And I would then say, well, okay, how do you know that? You know, like, what is, how do you quantify that? Well, I, I, I'm here, you know, I, I came to church, I, I, I read the Bible, 
sometimes. And I pray when I remember to, when I can. And, and you know, quite frankly, I, I try to be a good person. That's, that's the big sticky one, right? I try to be a good person. But listen to me. All these things that you named aren't marks of a Christian in and of themselves. Amen? Reading your Bible is not, is not just, that doesn't mean like you're a Christian. Just because you read your Bible. Or just because you read a Bible. Just because you pray doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you show up to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're a highly moral person doesn't make you a Christian. It might just mean that you're a good dude. The problem is, with highly moral people, is that a highly moral person who is not surrendered to Jesus is not a follower of Christ. Hell will be filled with highly moral people who love the world more than they love Jesus. That should strike fear into our hearts. I'm not saying you're a bad, you're a bad guy. No, you're a nice person. You're a good person. Great, you're a nice person. I'm not asking, are you a highly moral person? I'm, I'm, I'm asking, do you love the world more than you love Jesus? See, there must be a gauge, Right? There must be, and Scripture gives us one, thankfully. In Romans 12, Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, 2, it says this. Do not be conformed to this world. T turn to your neighbor and say conformed, nice and loud. Turn to your other neighbor and say transformed. These two words are very important, conformed and transformed. Conformed and transformed. Paul says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, where's the beef? Where is the beef? In the early 80s, there's a commercial. Some of you remember it because you're old. In the early 80s, there's a commercial. Hey, I was alive. Come on now. Um, yeah. Anyway, so in the early 80s, there's this commercial by Wendy's, and, and there's this group of older women, and they're sitting in this room, and there's three or four burgers in front of them on these platters, hum humongous burgers, like tremendously large. Right? The buns are just gigantic, and, and uh, the one lady in the middle, I believe, she lifts up the bun, and there's just this tiny little patty there. Right. And then you see this this little sweet old little lady, um, just, you know, blue hair and, and just glasses. And she she leans over the side and she goes, where's the beef? That's what she says, you know. And this this becomes a very successful, very popular slogan, catchphrase and commercial. They made a couple of different commercials. And, and, and later on, you know, one of the commercials that shows this little old lady, she's driving behind a car and the wheel is up here and her face is down here, you know, and she's driving and. And she, it shows her pulling into all these different uh, fast food chains in the drive-thrus. And she's just screaming at the drive-thru attendants, where's the beef? Where's the beef? This is old lady. She's doing this. I think they stole that idea from the book of Romans. I'm just saying. Because this is exactly the same thing Paul is asking. Paul is saying to so-called believers in Rome, where is the beef? Have you been conformed to the world or transformed by the renewal of your mind to the likeness of Jesus Christ? If so, where's the proof? Where's the beef? You should look different. You should be different. You should walk different. Where is the proof? Where is the beef? Listen, here's a simple truth. Every single day, we should be becoming more like Christ. Amen? This is the goal 
This is one of the goals and the main thrust of Christianity. We should be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. You say, Travis, that sounds an awful lot like works. Well, you show me your works and I'll show you your faith. Faith without works is dead. There is no neutral. You are either becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus. There's no like kind of being like Jesus. Hey, have you grown in your faith today or lost traction? Uh, I just kind of hung out in the middle. No, you didn't. You lost traction. Have you been more like Christ today or less? Ah, uh, kind of in the middle. No, you've been less like Christ. What Paul is talking about here really is sanctification. And it's a transformation that takes place through the renewal of our mind. How does that happen? It, simply put, we, it must be on the forefront of our minds and we must be in God's word. You know, I'm just going to say this. You want change in your life. And you read all these books and all these devotionals. And you go to seminars and you watch Dr. Phil. And you watch all this stuff. The simple truth is this. If you want change in your life that's actually going to bring forth fruit, the only thing you need to do is consistently read God's word. Consistently read God's word. I don't know where to start. I don't care. Can you read? No, I'm illiterate. Good. They have it in audio. Pick that up. I don't know where to start. Push a button. Just start anywhere. Just start. Just start. And listen or read and do it every day. When you do this, God will speak to you and God will change you. If this is the only source of feeding for you, you will lose the battle to the world. Because there are six and a half other days where you're not chilling out at church. Am I right? If you never learn to walk on your own, you will always crawl. If you never learn to eat on your own, you will die. You understand that? This isn't a game. This is a war. This is a battle. Grow up. Eat your own food. Like, I'm so excited because our children are just about to this age where they're almost able to all feed themselves. Amazing. Because for the last eight years, I've been feeding everyone else. And you're like, don't finish that sentence, Travis. You've been feeding yourself. Yeah, I understand that, okay? <laughs> it didn't take away from me consuming it, you know. But the fact of the matter is, like, I'm excited because we can pull up at the table and, like, put some food on. They'll eat it themselves instead of me sitting there for 20 minutes, like, huh, 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 trying to get a spoon in their mouth. You, as a Christian, you need to eat your own food. You need to eat your food. Stop coming to me. I'm tired of cutting up your steak. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hand feeding you mashed potatoes. I'm tired of spooning you Oreo, uh, Cheerios, Oreos. <laughs> Is that a cereal? That should be a cereal. I trademarked that right now. You have to understand, man, this world wants you to become consumed with it rather than Christ. And if you're not in scripture, you're going to be consumed by the world. Just consumed by the world. Because this world is not, it doesn't go about attacking us lightly either, right? It's, it's constant. It's not like a sniper. It's not like popping out its head looking to pot, you know, get a pot shot. No, it's bold. It's brazen. It's there. It says, here I am. I'm coming at you. Full force, full on, 24 hours a day, all the time. It barrages us constantly every day of every month of every year with everything we watch. Amen? Everything we listen to, everything we read, everything we hear. A constant stream of anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Christ messages. Amen? Don't you hear that? 
Don't you see that? Do you recognize that? It's all around you. TV tells us what we need. Movies telling us what type of wealth we should strive for. Magazines telling us what kind of sex life we need to have. Internet showing us what kind of bodies we need. Billboards, radio, news feeds, status posts, all telling us you're a good person. Believe in yourself. Get as much money as you can. Spend it on yourself. Get as much power as you can. Get yours. Be an individual. No one can tell you what to do. Be safe. Be comfortable. Accumulate more because that will make you happy. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, that these are not the messages of Jesus Christ. These are not messages of humility. These are not the words of God. These are the teachings of the world. A world that because of sin has been separated from God. More than just separated from God. It is ultimately anti-God. And listen, it's not just media. It's not just media. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not just entertainment. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot... More than that, it's, it's ingrained in the world's culture. It's, 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 it's a part of the world's DNA. This is why James 4, Scripture tells us that we can't be friends with the world. Why? Because if you're friends with the world, you, are, you have hostility towards God because it stands in direct opposition to God. So, what then? What do we do? How do we fight an enemy that 24 hours is blasting us in the face? That screams at us every time we turn on the radio, on the TV, go to a movie, read a magazine, drive down the street, go to the mall. How do you fight that enemy? How do you fight? How do you have victory in the face of an overwhelming victory? Can you? Well, I think for some of us, you know, you might say like, well, I know. I know what I'm going to do, Pastor. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to abhor evil. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to abhor evil. I'm going to go home. I'm going to throw out my TVs. I'm going to cancel my internet. I'm going to get rid of my smartphone. I'm not going to read anything except the Bible and maybe a little bit of Beth Moore for good measure. No more movies. No more leaving the house unless I have to. And if all that doesn't work, then I'm going to pack up my family. We're going to move to the middle of Alaska. And, uh, you know, we're going to move and be isolated in a little town so as not to be conformed and stained by the stench of this old world. Glory be. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with cutting yourself off from humanity. Right? And a lot of times we, we do that. We, we, we point to Noah. Right? We're like, well, Noah did that. If Noah did that, then I, when's the last time God came to you and told you to build a gigantic ark filled with all the other animals because he's going to kill everybody on earth? That ever happened to you? No? Stop it. Stop. Literally, don't build an ark and go off into the ocean. You will be strange. If you do, please tape it and send it to me because I would love to see that. I just, you are not Noah. I mean, get that, right? You are not Noah. You are not like the animal whisperer, like calling all animals to yourself. That is not you. It sounds silly, but this is what we do. We try to insulate ourselves when we should be engaging the enemy. I'm kind of an overprotective parent. At least I used to be. Maybe you can, maybe you can relate to this, those of you who have kids. I think all of us are overprotective with our first kid, right? You know, you have your baby, 
and uh, you know the baby's delivered, and you have kind of like this Lion King moment where you hold it up and in the air, and all the animals around bow down. It's like the circle of life, you know, and you hold it up, and and then you realize all the doctors are looking at you really weird, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, sorry. Um, maybe that's just me. And you take the baby home, and your wife says to you, hey, you know, because you, hey, could you, could you feed the baby? Could you feed the baby? Because you know, when you have a new baby, you speak in hushed tones only in the house, you know. Because you want to be quiet. The, the eardrums of the newborn are really delicate. You don't want to hurt the baby. So, you know, she hands you the baby and you, and you cradle the baby's head, you know, because you're scared. You never held a baby before. It could fall off. You don't even know what's going on, you know. You're holding the baby. You cradle his, his body. You know, you put a temperature gauge, you know, a thermometer rather, in, inside the milk. It's got to be the correct temperature, you know. That takes a little while to get it. Then you screw on the top. You make sure the top is screwed up. You shake it up a little bit. And then you just slowly, ever so slightly, just tilt the baby up and put the bottle just up to his mouth and, and just slowly... And then you get this thought, like, am I going to drown my baby? Am I going to drown my baby with milk? Is it, can he, you know, is his nasal, are his nasal passages clogged? Is he okay? And, and so you kind of look up the baby's nose and you hold it. And then you gently rock the baby. You're so concerned, right, with the baby. And then you listen for every sound. Is that a normal sound? Is that a normal sound? Should he do that? Is that, is that okay? Okay, that's okay. Okay, yeah, that's him swallowing. Okay, yeah. And so you just feed the baby, right? Then you have your second child. <laughs> Then you have your second child, and your, and your wife says, hey, um, would you mind, you know, not so much hushed tones anymore, but still a little quiet. Hey, would you mind feeding the baby? Yeah, okay, I'll feed the baby. But this time, it's not the thermometer, you know. This time, you just stick the bottle in the microwave. You pull it out. You shake it up. You squirt a little on your wrist. All right, it seems good. Stick it in his mouth, and you watch the news. You know what I'm saying? But then comes the third baby. Or the fourth or the fifth. By this time, I'm just going to be honest, it is, they are lucky they survived. If you are a firstborn, you are, just listen, I want to I share, impart some truth. You are a spoiled brat. You do not know how good you had it when you were born. Like, you know, you're like being like, you know, like they're, they're putting like, like, uh, like, I don't know, just like saran wrap all around your body. You're like a constant cocoon of love and happiness all the time, right? But the third or fourth, they don't even know if you're in the house. Where's the kid for dinner? I don't know. I think I saw him run down the road, you know. Okay, well, he can catch his own, you know. So your wife asks you, you know, about the third or fourth baby, like, hey, can you feed the baby? No more hushed tones, right? No one's worried about being quiet, right? You're like, why aren't they quiet anymore? Because this is how we talk in a house with a lot of kids all the time. Might as well get him used to it now. He just popped out. Get used to it, son, right? So you're like, hey, can you feed the baby? Sure. Well, actually, there's some leftover ham and some sandwiches in the, in the cupboard. If he's that hungry, he can make himself his own food. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's, it's amazing that you survive as a, as a third or fourth or fifth born or on. I don't even know, right? I think, though, when it comes to fighting the world and its adversary, we become so overprotective. We isolate. We retreat. We, we go inward, when in all reality, we need to, and here's what I want you to write down. Number one, we need to run towards the enemy and not away from it. Amen? Amen, church? Come on. We need to run towards the enemy, not away from it. But we're constantly running away from it. We're scared of the world. We run. We need to engage the enemy, not isolate ourselves from it. Listen to John chapter 17. This is Jesus speaking about us to God the Father. We're privy to this conversation that Jesus has about you and me, his church, to God the Father. This is what he says. I have given them, us, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. There's that word sanctify. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do we become sanctified? By reading the word. This is how we become more like Jesus every day. Reading the word. Reading scripture. Learning it. Meditating upon it. He says this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are called to be agents of change, church. When we accept Jesus Christ, here's the truth. You have to run towards the darkness because you are the light. If the light runs away from the darkness, how will the darkness ever be penetrated by the light? It will not. Scripture says that we are supposed to be lights in the darkness, that we are supposed to be the salt of the earth, that we're supposed to bring flavor to the dead, that we're supposed to be a city on a hill shouting the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather we retreat for the hills and we run away. Are you with me? How will this world change if we never go tell them about Jesus and we just isolate ourselves because we're terrified? How does this world change? It will change. It will get worse. Because the light won't be shown. The light won't be spread. The gospel will not be shared. If we always run to the safe and comfortable Christian bubbles <laughs> to get the warm fuzzies, you know what I mean? How's this world ever going to hear about Jesus? Newsflash, it won't. It won't. It won't. We must engage the enemy on his turf. We must take the fight to the world. Now, here's the truth. This takes wisdom, and you're going to need it. Because if you're, if you're a student in here, <coughs> you would maybe you know, go to your parents and say, Dad, I you know, I'm, uh, really took our pastor's words to heart this week. I'm really wanting to be a light into the darkness. I'm really wanting to be a city on a hill. So I've decided I'm going to go to my friend's party tonight. Because I'm going hey, to take the fight to the enemy on his own turf. Nah, that's not what I'm saying. You're in college, you're like, oh, good, man. Tonight I'm going to the club. I'm going to be a light to everybody's darkness there. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm saying this doesn't give you as, a, as, a, as an adult male, as an adult male, to watch things that you shouldn't be watching. And then when people ask you why, say, I'm studying culture. <laughs> no, you're sinning actively. That's what you're doing. This is not a license to sin. This is, this is where we have to use wisdom. We must use wisdom. We have to make wise decisions. We have to be smart. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You know, as Christians, people aren't supposed to even bring anything that appears to be sin up to us. Nothing you do should even have the appearance of sin. Understand that? You're supposed to live a life above reproach. And this is tough. You have to have wisdom. And this is tough. I, I would say this. For us as, as husbands, this is even more difficult. Because you're not just accountable to take the battle to the world. 
on your own. You're also accountable for your wife and preparing her to take the battle for the world. And you say, maybe, maybe you say, well, that's sexist. No, that's scriptural. Ephesians 5 talks about the fact that someday husbands have to turn their wives back in to Jesus Christ. You need to stop thinking about just the temporary happiness in this world for your wife, and you need to start thinking about her eternal state. See, your marriage has more than just this earth's implications. Your marriage to your wife has eternal implications. You understand that? You have to turn her back into Jesus. And not only that, you as a husband and a wife, if you have children, you are also responsible for them as well. You have to turn them back into Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, how did you foster? How did you steward what I gave to you? Did you prepare them for the battle or did you tuck tail and run for the hills? Did you train up little mercenaries? You train up little arrows that you could shoot out into the world that would do damage for the cause of Christ? Or did you train up a generation of wimps? We get scared. Point number two should help. We're going to finish up with this. Point number two should help. Do not fear what Jesus has already conquered. That should get an amen. Church, do not fear what Jesus has already conquered. I am so tired of Christians who are scared. Scared to tell anybody that they know Jesus. Scared to tell anybody that they have faith in God. Scared to tell somebody that there is a God. Scared to tell somebody anything about their opinions because they're scared they're going to offend somebody. Guess what? You're going to. The gospel is offensive. Scared that somebody's not going to like you because you're... I would tell them I'm a Christian. But if I told them that, they're not going to like me. Hmm. Jesus had something to say about this. Uh, Jesus said in John 16, I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He also earlier says this. I'm going to use that verse again in a moment. But in John 15, he says this. If the world hates you, just know it hated me first. Jesus said that. Because we're like, oh, Jesus, I would tell them I'm a Christian, but they're going to hate me. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, they hate, guess what? They hated me first, man. They hate you because you love me. I am offensive. The gospel is offensive. Telling somebody they're a sinner destined for hell is offensive. I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. No matter how good you are, how moral you are, apart from Jesus, if you love the world and you don't love Jesus, hell is your eternal resting place. I'm sorry, guess what? That's offensive. So here, let me just eliminate your fears, okay? Because you're like, I'm scared the world's going to hate me. Okay, guess what? They do. The world hates you. This world hates you. They're they have always hated you. They will continue to hate you, and tomorrow when you wake up, they're still going to hate you. They hate you because you love Jesus. This world hated Jesus before it hated you. So stop having fear. Don't give in to fear. Amen? Are you with me? Stop being scared. Stop being a wimp. Stop being a coward. Stop giving in to fear. You must understand that on the other side of every fear is freedom. On the other side of every fear is freedom because fear keeps us focused on the past and worried about the future and renders us useless in the present. And that is exactly what the world wants you to do. Be impotent and immobile. 
Not being able to accomplish anything, let alone grow the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this much too. In John 16, I just read this, but I want to read this again. Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You can know peace when you know Jesus. You don't have to wonder if this world hates you. It does. You will come under persecution. You will come under ridicule. People will hate you. Eventually, this world will try and kill you. Maybe it will be in our generation. Maybe it will not. It already happens in other parts of this world. But we're too busy stuffing our face and watching TV to even realize that it's happening around the planet. Okay? So don't wonder if it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But don't let that bring fear into your heart because Jesus says you can have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world. You think Jesus fears the world? No, Jesus punched fear in the face. The moment that he laid down his life, the moment that he rose from the grave, Jesus won the battle. Jesus won the war. All he's asking you to do is tell everybody else about it. Hey, Jesus won. Hey, man, Jesus, Jesus won. Battle's already won. Now i got to fight this. Jesus already won this. No, I'm just here to let you know this is done. And the world's going to say, no, this battle's on. No, this, what, this isn't a fight. What are you talking about? No, Jesus already won. You can stand up and have courage and fight knowing that you already have the victory Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Are you with me, church? Understand, we have a savior. We have a leader. We have a king who has already won the victory, already won the battle. What is there to fear? And you say, well, I'm just scared for my life. I'm scared for my reputation. What is your life? But a vapor that is here and gone. What is it? And this enemy might take your life. It's the truth. But maybe the reason you're so scared that the enemy might take your life is because you're scared of losing what you love the most, this world. See, the enemy can't take from you what he never gave to you. Jesus gave you life. And that is something that this world can never snatch from you. Nothing, Scripture tells us, can take us out of the hands of God. Not height, not depth, not any living creature, no powers that are, nor powers to come, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So I ask you again, church, what is there to fear? Stop being scared. Stop living a life of cowardice. Stop running away. Stand up. Put your faith in Jesus and advance the gospel for Jesus Christ. This is how we win a world. This is how we change a country. This is how we change our families. This is how we do it. And that's the only way. We can self-help all we want, but unless we get time in Scripture and time on our knees before Jesus Christ with our face in the ground, nothing will change. Thank you for listening to this message from part two of our series, The War Room at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.